Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Jared Sandler here with you, getting ready for episode 42 of the Justice Set Conversation with the great Julia Morales. Sideline reporter, dugout reporter, however you want to characterize it for the Houston Astros. She does stuff with the Rockets. Uh, big in the Houston athletic community, in the charitable community. Someone who's got a really, really interesting story. And I know you're probably thinking, Jared, the Astros, you can't stand the Astros. Nothing's changed there, but we all love Emily Jones, right? Well, Julia Morales is the Emily Jones of the Astros. And how can you not love Emily? You can't not love Emily. And same applies to Julia. She's great uh, and really enjoyed my conversation with her about her experiences, not only professionally, but growing up, growing up in Texas, going to UT, being a part of uh, the, the University of Texas athletic department when they won the Rose Bowl. Uh, Julia was a, a member of the cheer team. And, uh, you know, what's what's really interesting as well, prior to that, uh, growing up in a family with a father who ran for a political office. We talk about all of that and more coming up. Would really appreciate it if you would consider subscribing, liking, commenting, sharing the link. Uh, the more eyes and ears on this, the better. Plus, uh, don't be afraid to browse around the channel. Not just these interviews, although you can catch all 42, uh, but other interviews uh, outside of the Justice Set conversation uh, covering some of the big stories in the sports world, commentary, and more. Uh, so would appreciate if you would uh, take a dive into the channel if you've got the time. But uh, alas, it's time for episode 42 of the Justice Set Conversation with the great Julia Morales. All right, Julia, the first question I, I like to ask people, uh, what do you recall or what stands out about your childhood, whether it's interests, influences, hobbies, whatever? When, you, when I ask you that very open-ended and, and kind of generic question, what are the things that stand out to you? Oh my goodness. Okay. Uh, let's see. When I think about my childhood, I grew up in a tiny town close to Dallas, actually Southeast of Dallas It's called Crandall. And I think of just like kind of being an open air kid where I grew up outside. I played all sports, um, just very free. What a fun childhood I, I had out in the country where there just wasn't a lot of roles and we lived on a lot of land and um, you were able to kind of do everything at a small school. So, yeah, I mean, that was, that, that was really my interest and hobbies was just being outside playing with my little brother and then sports. My Both my parents played sports um, in college, actually. My dad ran track and then my mom played basketball. She actually walked on at SMU so she's got a shot. And, um, and so we had no choice but to be competitive growing up. I mean, even they would turn our birthday parties into some serious, like, Olympic 
<laughs> type, you know, like <laughs> games and we'd have um, balloon, water balloon fights and like some, some kind of races that my dad would make up. I mean, it, it started at a very young age. So that's just what my, my family did growing up. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a big part of my childhood I can't go without talking about. And it's my, that my dad ran for U.S. Senate in the state of Texas when I was 10 years old. That really kind of changed my entire life. It changed all of our lives in the way that we viewed the world, in the way that we acted at home, um, you know, and just I, I learned so much about the world. I learned so much about me. And, of course, it was what drove me to be a television reporter, which I am still doing today. So I'd be um, crazy not to say that, that wasn't a huge part of my childhood, even though it wasn't me running for U.S. Senate. Uh, um, Dad definitely made a, a huge impression on, on me in my life. Okay, so I want to get to, to that. Uh, in a second, but what what were the sports that you uh, you enjoyed most when you were growing up, either playing or watching or, or whatever? So playing, it was basketball. That was that was my favorite. And I started when I was really young. Uh, my mom was actually my little dribblers coach there, and and she was kind of intense. Looking back on it, <laughs> so, um, but I loved that sport, and that was you know we had a my dad put a basketball goal in the backyard. And put just enough concrete out there. I mean, I, I can I can still sit here and probably make nine out of ten free throws because of the you know just the amount of shots I took growing up, um, and just the time that I spent out there. So it was just it, that was my first love. When it comes to watching sports, you know, growing up in a small town, it was Friday Night Lights. So we loved everything about football and high school and being. Um, it was it was just the biggest thing ever. And then, you know, the Dallas Cowboys were were winning when I was young and, and up and coming as a sports fan and starting to realize, you know, who big players were, big names were. And so we were in front of the TV. So I was a Troy Aikman fan. I was Emmett Smith fan, um, you know, Michael Arian fan. I'm still a fan of those guys. I don't talk about it too much in Houston, but <laughs> those were my first, you know, those were my first favorite athletes. And um, when it comes to baseball, you know, base, my, my, my love that I have now for baseball comes later in life. Um, but, you know, we, we love the Rangers, too, and we would love going to the ballpark. And Pudge Rodriguez wore number seven, which ended up being the reason why I wore number seven. Um, that was my favorite number when I got into high school. And I played volleyball, basketball, ran track. because My dad made me run track, and so I was a hurdler. Um, <laughs> and I was a cheerleader as well. I mean, I just I did everything. That was the cool thing about going to a small school. But I, I literally did everything that I possibly could um, athletically um, and when it came to competitive sports, and, and we loved it all. My brother did everything too. So, yeah, uh, basketball was first love. Football, it's still just, you know, it's, it's my it's my roots. It's my heart and soul. Um, but now I've got this this whole new world of, of baseball that I've just absolutely fallen in love with. Uh, all right. So you mentioned your dad in, in running for U.S. Senate uh, in the mid '90s, and, and that was while you were growing up. Uh, what was that experience like for you? You know, on the positive, maybe you know the negative, because obviously I know politics can be tough sometimes. Uh, so what do you recall about that experience? Ooh, um, yeah, so you're right about bringing up the negative um, because I, I hate politics to this day because of it, just because my experience was different. And I know that almost sounds, you know, it just doesn't sound like an intellectual approach to take on something that's so important in our world. But when you're that age and things are things are really traumatizing for a 10-year-old and my brother was eight, nine at the time. Um, so, 
you know, we, there was the fun part of it. There was my dad that all of a sudden, you know, he, he had this dream. He was a school teacher there at Mesquite Poteet and decided like, I'm sick of some things. I'm going to see if I can make a change. And if I can't, if I can't be in office, I'm going to get as many people to register to vote and, and like together we can change some things. And I'm just, you know, going to put the word out there. And, and he did. And so he got a petition signed. He needed so many signatures, got it done. Um, put himself on the ballot. This is the impossible. And he's doing the impossible. He's a school teacher. And, uh, and, and he actually did well. He just went around and shook hands and he knocked on doors and he got kids that had either in his classes or had recently graduated who were fans of him to volunteer. And all of a sudden it picked up some steam for the media because it was a really good story. And he was just a good guy all around at the end of the day, he just wanted to do the right thing. And, and it really took off when he won and he was the democratic nominee and he became the first Latino to be so. And, and so then it gained national attention. Everyone's like, who the heck is this Victor Morales guy in Texas running against the incumbent Phil Graham, who had, you know, who had a lot of money, a lot of power, um, a well-known name and dad was taking him on. And then, uh, so we watched it. We watched it as little kids. It was a really cool thing to watch. All of a sudden these media members show up in my kitchen. They were writing feature stories right there at my kitchen table, or they were putting their news cameras up in my front yard. And it was all stuff that we, I told them Crandall, Texas is small for anyone that's listening that know, like even knows where Crandall, Texas, I'm impressed. It's no stoplights. Um, at the time we had less than 2000 people there in the city. So, you know, it's like you didn't, we didn't see much or we didn't know much. And, and we were just, we were learning so much about the political world, but it got so ugly so fast. You know, it was the commercials that were coming out where um, the, the Republican party was putting out lies about that shot, you know, spoiler alert people. A lot of these things that you see on TV aren't true when it comes to campaigns and election years, um, because I lived it. And I remember my mom crying, you know, when she's watching these lies come out in the newspapers and it, it was awful, you know? So there was the, the really cool stuff. And then there was the, the stuff that people would, will never understand unless you're in a, a family like that, where, you know, social media wasn't even around yet. I can't even imagine how much worse it is for kids. But so I, you know, it must have been an impression on me that, that I, it's, it's too bad, you know? I mean, I, maybe it would have, for me to get into if I was a little bit older, understood a little bit better, but I wanted no part of it. Dad didn't stay in it. Um, he went back to teaching and ended up retiring and has one hell of a story um, because of all of it, but he got a lot of people to register to vote at the end of the day. Um, he was on my college exam as, you know, as one of the questions was about, was about who was the first Latino to run for U.S. Senate there in Texas, and that was Dad, which was really cool. So did some really, really cool things, but yeah, it was a it was a lot. It was a, it was a lot for, for a young kid to take in and, and to understand. And I understand a lot more now, but, but it really just kind of changed my perception. And, and I learned, you know, it's like, I have this thing and I, <laughs> I like sports, Jared, like <laughs> the reason why, when I wanted to go into TV, it was like, do you want to go this route or this route? I'm like, nope, take me to the football field, please. Uh, I want no part of that because it, because it can get really ugly. Uh, you, you mentioned you know, your dad being the, the first minority nominee uh, to get that far. I, did, was that was that ever a conversation you guys had as a family or, or was it something that you just on your own recognized the significance of that? Or, or at, at what point, if you didn't, then did you recognize the significance of that? 
probably when he was on my college exam. And <laughs> I hate that too. But while I was in it, you know, we were, we were very proud of, of dad and what he was doing. And I listened to all the speeches that he gave. So I was old enough to, to pick up on what he was saying. And that was a big message that he was getting out there because he was reaching out to minorities and like, let's like, we, there's not enough of us voting was his message. And so he was trying to go to those communities where there are a lot of minorities that had yet to register. I mean, that was, that was a big part of the campaign. So I, I understood that by listening to his speeches and, and his whole slogan was e poor K no. Um, and why not a school teacher? And why not me? You know, it was like that was his whole slogan and he had shirts made. So, I mean, we were very proud of that. And I was very proud that my last name is Morales. And, you know, if, if people knew what I look like, I'm a redhead with blue eyes because my mom is a redhead with green eyes and fair skin. And, and so we didn't look like Morales family. But, gosh, we were, you know, it was like we were so proud of that Hispanic name and what he was doing with it. Um, and, and so, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I grew up with, with that, but it wasn't until it was like written out, you know, and then it was like, oh my gosh, like that's, that's really kind of cool. Like he, he really did do something. And now, you know, all these years later, he's one of my favorite, he's, he is my favorite person on this planet. And my mom, I just look up to so much and, and what he did and what he showed us through all that. Um, it was hard. And he, and somehow he was standing through all of it and, and just kept taking the hits and, and kept, he never wrote a speech. This guy is the best speech giver on the planet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I have the utmost respect for my daddy and he's, he's the best and, and gosh, yeah, now, oh my gosh, my, my whole, my whole understanding is completely different. My appreciation for what he did is, is definitely, is definitely there. Okay, so you you go to the University of Texas and you're a part of Texas Palm in an era where UT football was was really good. And and I don't bring up the Rose Bowl just yet because uh, we'll get to that. But just in general, what uh, what was that experience like for you? And and what pushed you to to join that group and and have that be such a big part of your college experience? Yeah, so I I'd always. You know, you grow up in Texas and you have to pick A&M or Texas, right? I mean, you don't really <laughs> pick a side when you're a kid and you have no idea what you're doing or, or why. Or, you know, maybe it's just your family swaying you one way or the other. But I was a Texas fan from the beginning. I, uh, you know, I, I always thought that would be a really cool place to go to school. And then once I got a little bit older, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be in TV. I wanted to be a TV reporter. That's, that's what I would tell people. And so I, I realized that the journalism school was really good there as well. So I told you, I, you know, I played all sports. I was in cheerleading, but I also, my aunt is a dance teacher and I spent my whole, you know, after school life at a dance studio. I taught dance and took from the time I was two years old. So that's also a big part of our family and our lives. And so, you know, I actually went to Kilgore College first, which is in East Texas. I was a rangerette because that was another dream of mine that I wanted to check off. And that ended up being the two of the coolest years of my entire life. Um, just, it was the first ever drill team a lot of history on that campus and with that drill team, just some really cool experiences as I got to be in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and um, in the inauguration parade in 2004 um, for Bush there in D.C. In, in March and super, super cool. And so after that, you know, my, my goal was to get to UT. It was to transfer over to be in communication, study broadcast journalism. I had a plan. And, and why not be on Texas Palm? I had the, the dance experience. Um, you know, I, I, why wouldn't you want to be around that program? Vince Young was already 
was already up and coming. He's already doing his thing on the campus. So when I transferred over, it was, it was 2005. That was my first year. And, uh, and it was one great year to be on the sidelines. <laughs> you know, every regular <laughs> season game, they, I, there's a fight song that you learn. It's a dance that you learn to the fight song. And we did it a bajillion times, it felt like, every game because Vince was scoring 70 points on Texas Tech. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. So um, it was just – it it made sense for me to do it. It was, it was exactly what I wanted to do. And I, I can't believe I got to do it in an era where, you know, it's like, it's one we still talk about and we still look at because it's been a while since the Longhorns have, have been that good. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, this, maybe you don't, I, I went to USC, but I grew oh. up in, I grew up in Dallas and I was <laughs> still, uh, you know, over a year away from even applying to USC. So I remember watching that game rooting for Texas, really just being fascinated with with the amount of talent that was on the field. But now yeah. that I, I go to USC, you know, I get I get ribbed <laughs> about it a lot. And it, it, it does still it, it does hurt because I, I fully embrace USC and I love USC, but I don't I don't necessarily have the same pain uh that someone who who went there or had already gone there probably experiences. Right. But so that that's probably why I'm 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 so willing and excited to to ask this and and hear your response. But what was that experience like? And are are there any? I mean, I, I know that when it's the national championship game, it's not like you just show up for the game and and that's it. I know that there's a whole song and dance uh, around it, and it's you know it's such a big deal, especially that one. So what was that yeah. experience like? I, I don't know if there are any like awesome stories from it, but but what do you remember when you think back to that? So, you know, what's crazy is that it, since it was my first year being on Texas Palm and being on the Texas campus, I didn't really know what, uh, like, what life was like without the team being the number one or number two college football team all season. You know, so it was like, I didn't have anything to compare it to. So <laughs> I'm pretty spoiled in that I get on this campus and all the talk is about Texas. And, you know, it's like every week college game days there and you know it was just like the coolest season leading up to it it was like a dream and I you know and then I'm also trying to make sure that I'm studying and, and doing all the things at a first time you know I'm a first time on this huge these huge classes and a lot going on I would give anything to go back and just kind of relive that year and now you know it's like just I, there were so many more things I think I would have taken in um just because it was so much it, it right there at the beginning for me but um, the other thing is I do not feel bad for anyone at USC as they all showed up <laughs> to that game in their three-peat shirts. I will never forget that. You know, it's like I don't feel bad for that school. And <laughs> it's like, sorry. Um, but know that you're right. There's a whole song and dance when it comes to national championship. And, again, stuff I didn't know, but it was like the parades that we had. I mean, how many appearances did we make at different things? And they would split us up and pep rallies and and big, you know, big donors would have parties and they would want a couple of palm girls there and then Bevo would have to show up. And I mean, we just did so much of that leading up to it. Um, and then, of course, the, the Rose Bowl parade. I mean, it's, it's so, so cool. What an experience. And then the game. I mean, come on with the game. I was on the opposite end zone as the, as the touchdown. Um, but I'm telling you, it felt like once – once it scored, it felt like, you know, I jumped in the air and then it felt like my feet didn't touch the ground for a good 45 minutes after that. It just, it was that, I mean, it was just like this level of, 
much. I can't even explain it. Especially if you're a sports fan and you grow up in sports and, and you're already competitive and then your team is at the highest level and, and they win in that fashion and beat that team. I mean, it was I mean, it was incredible and it's still incredible. I mean, that game, people ask me to this day, you know, what's the best game you've ever seen in person? And, and now I've got a game five of the 20. 20- 17 World Series that I have to compare it to because that that game too. I mean, I've been blessed. I've, like the fact that I was at both of those games is is like not fair, right? It's not fair to sports fans. Um, but fun. And then the after, there was so much after. It just continues, and um, you know, there's parades after that, and we had things on the field. I remember Vince ran around the stadium afterwards. Sometime in January, where it was freezing in Austin, but we didn't care as we were wearing our chaps and our little fringe vests. I mean, we just didn't care. It was so cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I love sports anyway. I love sports media already. I couldn't wait to get into it. But, I mean, to have those experiences as a 20, 21-year-old um, were huge for me, you know, just because I, I, I was paying attention to everything. I watched every reporter that walked on that field. I watched every woman that walked out, and I was like, wow, that's what I want to do. You know, it was just like that helped mold me and, and put me in this position I am today. Um, just a really, really cool, unique experience for me to kind of be there at the right place at the right time. Uh, so you mentioned seeing the the women who were were doing the roles that you wanted and, and, and you do now. Who were, in, whether it was then or just since in your professional career, who were or have been some of your biggest influences? It's a great question. So, you know, honestly, I – with all that I mentioned, just like being so active and playing a lot of sports and, you know, people are like, did you grow up watching baseball? Did you grow up watching football? And it's like, I mean, yeah, but I didn't sit in front of the TV every night at seven o'clock. I just, we were so busy. We were doing our own thing. So I didn't, you know, it's like when I got to college and started seeing people in person and then going home and flipping it on and seeing, you know, the broadcasters after that, that's when I was starting to put it all together. Like who was who, what jobs were what, you know, what was their role in the broadcast? Um, so I was older, you know, it was like, I, Aaron Andrews had just kind of stepped on the scene as far as being a sideline reporter, which we didn't know much about. But before that, there was a weekend sports anchor at the CBS affiliate there in Austin where I interned. And her job impressed me because, you know, I, I realized that she could, she could host, she could stand on the, you know, she'd be at the desk with the main anchors. And I mean, like all of this seems very normal right now as I, as people are listening, but I'm like in 2004 and 2005, like that was a big deal. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of them. And then for me to see her up close work and write and, and realize that no one was doing anything for her. It was just her. She had someone with, you know, that would help her shoot highlights. Um, but she would sit at that desk and put together stories and, and know her stuff. And I'd listen to her talk and I just, I was just, amazed by her and amazed by the fact that that was an actual job. And that's, that's when everything kind of switched for me. And it was like, okay, I want to do what you do. How do I get there? What do I do? You know? And then I started kind of working my way to that, putting my resume tape together, um, learn, learning from her, how to write, how to edit. So I mean, you know, it's like not the, the big woman, you know, not the big name answer that you were probably looking for, but it was just like, she she really helped me realize that this was a possibility in my life. And then, you know, from there, that's when I started watching the Michelle Tafoyas and the Susie Colbert's. And I mean, I just became obsessed with them and, and <laughs> watched everything that they would do. And I would learn 
Um, you know, it's like they were just, they were so versatile. They could do it all. They could report, they could host, they could, you know, it was just like any, anything you wanted them to do, they were good at it. Um, and so that's, you know, those were, those became my role models as I started watching, but you know, there, there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of sideline reporters at the time that, that became something like the Astros sideline reporter job that I had wasn't a thing that traveled to the team until 2013 when I got the job. So, you know, it's like looking back, you were just looking at women in sports. You weren't looking like, I want to be a field reporter for a baseball team. Like that's just not how we saw it. I just saw someone that was a female in the industry, and that's what I wanted to do, and so I went and got it. One thing I want to ask you about, uh, and and you know, you shared with social media and got an amazing response, which I thought was super cool from some of the the players and and members of the Astros. Uh, but you are uh, you are expecting a, to have a kid, and congratulations! Uh, Thank you. So yes. we're we're in a period where. You know, with with what's going on around the world, there are a lot of people who are admitting, "Hey, you know, I and I'm white. I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to to mm-hmm. be Hispanic." And 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 so, I, I want to ask you. I I'm a guy. I don't know what it's like to be uh, a woman, especially a woman who does what you do uh, with everything that goes into it, and, and also wants to start a family. I, I'm uh, what what I guess what's that like? Uh, and 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 what challenges have maybe come up if, if it's okay that I ask and uh, how have you dealt with those? No, it's, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. And I, and I hope to, once we get out of this, I hope to talk about it more. My experience, um, you know, what I went through as far as with my thought process on how to get here. So, you know, I, I just got finished talking about like how I was going to, I was willing to do anything to get into the industry and be, you know, and just get in. Like, I didn't know really what I wanted to do once I got in there, but I, this is what I wanted to do. And so that takes a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice. And then once you're in, you kind of just follow where it leads you. Right. And so you say, yes, you say yes to jobs. I went to Sherman, Texas. I went to Tyler, Texas. I went back to Austin, Texas. Um, so I was super, super lucky when it comes to being able to just kind of stay in Texas and cover teams that I knew already. But I mean, imagine if that was Timbuktu or you know, like I would have said yes, if it was the right time, you know, if that, if that opportunity put itself in front of my face. So as far as starting a family, finding somebody, you know, falling in love was like difficult because I worked so much and I worked hard and I, you know, I was like, I didn't want it to slow me down because I didn't want to be stuck in Sherman, Texas. I love Sherman, Texas, but that's not where I wanted to end my career. Um, making $15,000 a year. That was it. <laughs> that <wasn't laughs> for me. Um, and so, you know, then it's like, you get to Tyler, what's next, get to Austin, what's next. Um, so it was just, I kept just trying to climb that was my soul. That was my goal. And I was gonna, I was just, I was so head down and working hard. So then you re, then you're like, okay, I do want a family, but how the heck do you fit that in? Um, you know, I met Matt while I was in Austin. He was playing for the Tucson Padres, which is a triple A affiliate for the Padres, but his dad was the pitching coach for the round rock express who I got really close to and his dad introduced us and I did a story on him and that's how we met and became friends. And then we ended up dating and eventually married, but my husband is still in professional ball playing in Mexico league. And I'm over here living my dream job. And it was like, how the heck are, are we going to have a family? You know, like, how is that going to work? And so we were both pursuing our dreams. We were, we were doing what we wanted to do. Neither of us were ready to stop, which made us kind of a perfect couple, you know, it made us very compatible because we, it, we're, 
we're early 30s, we're trying to figure it out. So here I am, 35, and it's like, I this, I need to start a family. And, and that scared me. It gave me anxiety to think about, like, I'm traveling with a baseball team. What's gonna what's it going to look like if, if I all of a sudden have a child? You know, it's like all of these questions start to come up, things that men don't have to think about. Like, I'm like, how am I going to take my pregnant self to the ballpark every day? What happens later? I mean, questions that I'm like, keep me up at night. And that's part, that's what it's like. That is what it's like. You know, it's like these things are just constantly going through your head. What happens when I do have the kids? How is my job going to change? Um, you know, like what, what will people think of me? What will my brand look like? Um, I could just go on and on and on and, and you can kill yourself thinking that way and being so obsessed with what it's going to look like. And, you know, finally got to a good point, Matt and I both, where it was like, let's just do it and, and listen to everyone's advice that says you're going to figure it out. Right. Um, and I do, I've watched Emily Jones do it. I've watched her have two kids and be an absolute boss woman, which she hates that term, but she is, she, she's great at her job. She's an awesome mom. Um, and I can do it too. And so it was now my role models kind of changed, right? And I was looking at people who have had kids in the industry and been successful. Um, and so those are my people now. Those are the people that I look up to now. I'm like, what's next for me? I still want to do this. I just want to do this and have a family. And so it's my time finally. I'm super excited. Thank you for even bringing it up. But um, but there are a lot of questions that need answers, and I'm not sure what it's going to look like a year from now or five years from now if I have two or three um, or where this all goes, which is exciting at times but also very scary for a girl like me who worked so hard to get here. You know, you don't want to lose it, and I, and I love my job so much. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, that was a really cool thing that the players were involved, and people are so, so happy. People love babies, I've learned. <laughs> and um, and so I'm just going to kind of enjoy this phase, right? And I know there's so much going on in the world, and and but it, but it is a really exciting time for me and my family. So we're trying to enjoy this, and then we'll just kind of figure it out. Babies do um, at the end of what we think would have been baseball season. So next year, you know, just stay tuned, right? Stay tuned as we as we all figure this out together. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And uh, again, congratulations. And there's so many people who are really excited. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure your husband's excited. You mentioned your husband, Matt, and he still plays. Uh, family's obviously super important. You you just touched on that. Uh, what are the challenges that you've dealt with with the separation? E- even if Matt lived in Houston uh, 365 right. days out of the year, you would still deal with it because you're traveling a lot. Uh, not just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going to the, to the ballpark seems like every night for seven months, but you're on the road, but you know, he's not in Houston all the time. You mentioned he, he plays in the Mexican league and, and you guys are apart. What are some of the things that have helped you guys get through, you know, I imagine some, some tough times of separation. Yeah. Well, he used to play in Japan. So that was tough. You know, it's like, if, if he can, if he can live through that for a couple of seasons, Mexico's easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one quick flight, the time zone is usually very similar. Um, yeah, but, but we've always known that because that's how our relationship started. Um, and like I said, we were both mentally gearing up for how are we going to reach our ultimate goals in our careers, and and so it was kind of good timing for us. We were we were each other's cheerleader. Um, whatever it took, you know, I was already, I had, I got the job with the Astros after he had taken off for Japan that first year. And that, and that was very difficult in the meeting stage. I was living my best life with a major league team, which was his dream. 
um, lots of challenges there um, and worked through them and, and, and survived those. And it made us super strong. And so we, we don't talk a lot of baseball. We are right now just because there's nothing else going on in the world. (laughs) You know, it's like, we don't have games to watch or anything. So we're like talking about the news of the world, but usually it's our job and, you know, we'll talk about our day, but it's not something we spend a ton of time on. Um, but it is, there's a lot of baseball in our lives. Um, so yeah, we've just kind of figured it out. You know, the, I go see him once a month, usually if, if all is well in the world. Um, you know, I've, I've worked that out with my team and my contracts where I can get that time with him. He's got an all-star break. I've got an all-star break. His season doesn't go as long as ours. So I get to see him a little bit more, but I mean, you're right. Like it didn't, it wouldn't matter where he was going to be anyway, because my job is just so grueling as far as the goes, and I'm on the road all the time. So he could have been sitting at home and I still wouldn't see him. So it worked out perfectly. We were at least on the same hours at the same time of year. And so we have awesome off seasons. We do lots of traveling. We see our families and we, you know, just every day in the off season is so special and so precious and, and and it works. And then we, we grind and then we meet back up and, um, and yeah, it's, it's worked so far. I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be different next year. Neither one of us know. And especially with him, I mean, there's so much unknown every year and the Mexican league, they don't have these long-term contracts. And, and so it, we've been living this life for a while, um, but we're ready for it. And, and we've been through some stuff already. So, you know, bring it on. If, if we can survive 2020 too, like seriously, bring it on world. Like we can handle anything. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely challenges. FaceTime has been a huge help just because you, you know, I will literally get ready for work while I'm talking to him. You know, it's like I can get stuff done and we can still feel like we're in the same room at the same time. That's been a game changer. But, but yeah, I mean, I know, you know, it's, a, it's the, the relationship part of it is so important. And this job, this game sometimes feel lonely if you're traveling to the team a lot. So He's been huge in all that. We've we've just found our little system, and it and it works well. All right, Julia. A couple more questions. Uh, the the first one of the the couple remaining. I, I want to ask you about what what's happened with the Astros. Not not from the standpoint of uh, you know the 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 nitty gritty of of what you know was reported and the penalties, but you're around this team and you're, you're around it way more than I am. Uh, and, and I know there's a rivalry that exists and, you know, it's, it's a fun rivalry, but you know, I've gotten a chance in a, in a small capacity to get to know some of the people, part of the organization, whether it's people like yourself or Steve Sparks, but also the players who are part of this. And, and I know that there are some really good people in that clubhouse and no one knows that better than you do. Uh, and some of those good people were, were thrust into the middle of this and, uh, you know, good people can make mistakes and, and whatever. That's that's not really what this is about. But but how do you how do you go about uh, reconciling the fact that, you know, there are people who don't want to hear it? You know, they don't want to hear about that. But yeah. there are some really good people and no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. Uh, you're not perfect. You know, these guys aren't perfect. I, I don't know. I'm sure that it's it's a thought that you've had because I, I, I thought, well, what if this happened to the Rangers? And, you know, the, the the great people I know part of that organization and it just I don't know I guess I guess what uh how have you dealt with that how have you reconciled that yeah no you're right I mean it it's heartbreaking it was heartbreaking to find out it was heartbreaking to know you know that so many people were involved um you know and and okay <laughs> I know it's a game and, and people can say that but and I know it's just a job for us but you know I just 
we we are around this team so much or these teams and, and these players and you get to know their families and, and you just it becomes your livelihood. You're spending that much time and, and so you're you're I mean, deep down, I'm a fan. I work for the network. We're TV partners with the with the team. I mean, I can't help but root for some of these people that I trust and respect, and, and I just I can't. And so it's really disappointing to find it find it all out. Um, just and then to watch them get crucified by every. You know, it's like the the players coming out. Um, it's just one after the other. It felt like people were just piling on really, really hard to watch because it, it, these are your friends in a way, you know, it's like, how would you feel if that was someone that you, that you cared for? And, um, and so, and then, you know, it's like, you know, their wives are struggling with it. You know, they've got little kids. They've got to have these tough conversations with, um, it goes on and on and on. And then employees, I mean, you mentioned Sparky, there's a lot of people around this organization that have nothing to do with it at all that are still having to deal with it because they wear the Astros logo. So a tough, oh my gosh, a tough off season really a tough world series on starting from game one. I mean, I, I can, I can go back and, and talk about the, the month. So 2020 has been rough, but I mean, well, us over here in Houston could probably take it with all that's gone on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was not looking forward to hitting the road with this team for the first time since I got this job, because I, I didn't want to sit through it because I, I'm hearing it, you know, they're, they're hearing it and we were going to hear it. And um, from fans that were all across the country. And I was, I was really worried about that. Cause it gets old one game of it. I remember Jake Marisnik. I don't know if you remember the collision with yeah. uh, Luke last year. Cause he, he came right to Arlington right after. Oh yeah. And so when, when we were in, when we went to Anaheim, um, they were ruthless and that's Anaheim. I mean, that, that fan base is, is what it is, but it's not, I mean, it's not even like a hardcore fill the seats every night fan base. And they gave it to the Astros and gave it to Jake Marizic. And that was hard. I mean, that was like, that was heavy that night. It was hard to sit on the bus. I mean, it was like, it didn't feel good. I mean, you know, Jake Marizic's a good guy and didn't mean to, but he was going to wear it for the team. And, and I mean, it was just awful. And I thought, Oh my gosh, they're going to have to do that every single night on the road in 2020. So um, we thought we thought it all, you know, we were thinking about it. We were wondering how we were going to get through it. I wondered if it was going to bring the team together, but gosh, that was, that was going to be really hard. So, I mean, now with all of this, like, who knows when fans will actually get their chance at the Astros. Um, but no, it's, it's, I, you know, with all this on in the, on in the world, honestly, Jared, like it's, totally kind of changed the way I felt about it. I mean, that stuff was really hard to um, just kind of process and, and the firings of an AJ Hinch, who's been so great to us. Um, Jeff Luno, who's been around the sun so much. I mean, that, that was really, really hard to process, but then it's like going through all of this, you, you find a little bit of perspective in just like life and things that are super important. And, you know, it's like, you think back to the beginning of March and it was all about, what the guys were saying in the clubhouse and what, you know, like they weren't saying the right thing and they weren't saying enough. And, and you look back at that and you're like, gosh, that, you know, it's like, how, like, how little does that feel compared to what is going on in the world right now? Um, it's just, it's just people and they make mistakes and they made a big one and, and they're paying for it and will continue to pay for it. And a lot of them are, aren't even around for that at all you know it's like the people that are still on this team there's a lot of guys on that team that weren't even around in 2017 so um so yeah it's going to be interesting no matter what when it all gets gets back to to, 
to baseball and they and they get on the field, but but I feel like this has given us a chance to to continue to move away from it and to understand that it is in the past. And it's 2020, and we're talking about something that happened in 2017. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, not over it, no. <laughs> but, but we got to find a way. You know, and and you bring up Jake Marisnik, and and I you know, I interrupted you, and I apologize, but you know you guys, I think, went directly from Anaheim to Arlington. And he had to answer questions that, that next day. And I remember just being there because I had to try and figure out who I was going to do for a pregame interview. And I'm, you know, I'm sure I was trying to pluck someone on your side. And uh, and I just remember looking at Jake as he was answering these questions. And you realize, like, this is a guy who had no intention to do anything bad other than play hard and, and, and win a game. And, yeah. you know, there's some guys in, you know, around the league who maybe aren't as, you know, good people, whatever. But like, I just, I, I remember standing there and I, 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 you know, thank gosh he didn't like look at me because I was probably just staring. Uh, and I just felt so bad. And you realize that what these guys do to win a game uh, is, is not, always representative of who they are as people. Uh, right. and, and, and that was a mistake. It wasn't like he was even, you know, had any, you know, malintent, but it's just, I don't yeah. know that, that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that, that was something that stuck with me the rest of the year was, was remembering, mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember what he was wearing and I was probably admiring right. his hair cause he's got like such great hair. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I just remember that moment. Uh, all right. Last yeah. thing, Julia, you, yeah. it's really cool when your name comes up, especially in the Houston area, the the love and, and respect and appreciation the Houston sports fans have for you. And I, I think it's tough. You know, you've bounced around and been in different markets. You know, I know before I came back home to, to Dallas, I was in uh, Michigan and Montana. And uh, I know it's not easy to become a part of the fabric of, of that community. And, and especially when it's a big city like Houston, what, what did you do? What What are the things that that were important to you, and just becoming a part of that the way you have and, and and have have done very successfully? Thank you. First of all, it's very sweet. I have really fallen in love with this city and fallen in love with the fan base, and and that's not just the Astros, it's the Rockets, it's the Texans. I mean, I've just really put myself in this community, and now that I've been doing this for eight years, I've found a way to get into the community in different ways and give back. And I've, I've just jumped into an animal rescue that I love so much. And that's opened doors for me in the city. And I've been more people. And I just, I, it's home. It's where I was born actually, but I didn't spend a lot of time here. Um, you know, I spent some time in all these other Texas cities, but to, to land in Houston and to, I, I expected it to all of a sudden become my home where I'm going to hopefully raise kids and, I mean, it's, it's crazy what can happen, but I, you know, thinking back, my first year was 2013. It was a very tough time for the Astros organization, but it was also a very good time to be starting up with the Astros organization. There were a lot of new faces. There was obviously new ownership. Um, you know, a lot of them weren't around for very long, but there were good opportunities. Been there. Dallas Keiko was on the team, Marwin Gonzalez, and I got to see those guys when they were, you know, they were just major leaguers on this really bad team trying to figure out um, like how to have consistent at best. And, and so I was, I, it was a good time. Our network was just getting started. So I had a new group, um, you know, I, and I think back and what did I do? Well, at the time we were trying to give viewers 
something to watch because the team was struggling so bad. So we tried to make it fun. And I tried to, to use that first year in the American league and teach people about ballparks that the Astros didn't spend a lot of time in ever in their entire history. And, you know, I did fun stories around the cities and, and I, I don't know, it was just, I guess every night people would tune in and, and I would be like that smiling girl having a heck of a time because she was just living her best life in Seattle or, you know, it was like trying the food in Pittsburgh or <laughs> so, but I, you know, it was real, it was genuine. And I was so excited to, to be in my dream job covering major league baseball and, and getting the opportunity to go to these cities I'd never been to before. So, I mean, I was a first timer. So I think back and, and that was people's first impressions of me. I never changed. As, as the team got better, I became more baseball-oriented, obviously. I mean, we didn't even need to talk about food anymore once it got to 2015 because the team was good. We had stuff to talk about. They were actually competing with the Texas Rangers at that time. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't change who I was. I continued to be my, myself. Uh, we have a really good chemistry in the broadcast booth. It was Bill Brown for so long. It was Alan Ashby. It was Jeff Blum. Now it's Todd Callis, who was like, gosh, the easiest guy to fill in. And, and be the next voice. He's the greatest guy. So I've had, you know, really great broadcasters to click with. And, and we're who we are, you know, behind the scenes. Like what you see on TV is exactly who we are. And we have these broadcaster Zooms now. And it's just so obvious. It's like we're a family. We love the Astros. We love being together. We love calling the games. And it's, I think that is very apparent when you turn on our broadcast. So we take a lot of pride in that. And I mean, like what you're seeing right now, Jared, I'm the same person. And I, and I really, I try to tell people that are upcoming reporters and, you know, it's like, depending on your job, if you get a job like, like mine in baseball of all places where, you know, it is a little more fun, a little more, you get a little more slack and you have some time to be yourself then do it. Like, don't be, don't fake it. (laughs) Don't try to be someone else. Um, That's going to be a long, exhausting career, right? Just, just love what you do and enjoy going to the ballpark or the arena or wherever, wherever it is you're headed. Um, and you'll, and people will see that and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll enjoy listening to you and they'll trust you and the players see it. And that's, that's helped my relationship with them. And so um, I truly believe that. So I try to pass that on, you know, there are times that we do have to get serious. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm silly all the time, but, um, but no, I just want people to know that, that I am the same person on TV as I am off of it. And I think that's really important. So hopefully, I mean, maybe that's why I just, I think, you know, growing up with the team when it was, when it was struggling to winning a world series obviously helped. And a lot of people that jumped on and, or finally started watching consistently um, saw us and, and have tuned in to see us every night. And so um, we're, you know, now that there's more change, it's like we're, we are the most consistent faces that you've seen in the last decade of Astros baseball, which is crazy, right? I mean, there's Altuve and then there's us. <laughs> so everybody else is kind of new um, or newer. And, uh, and I, I, I find some responsibility in that as well and, and carrying the name well. Um, I, I know every time I walk outside my door, people think of me as the Astros Island reporter and I don't mind it. Um, I'm just, I'm very, very proud. So yeah, I, it's a, it means a lot for you to say that, and it means a lot to see the, the nice things that people say um, because I, you know, I, I feel the same way about them, too. Well, there you go. Episode 42 of the Justice Set Conversation with Julia Morales. And, you know, I, I really, it, it's cool hearing her answer that last question and, and 
Uh, it, it, it's really been neat for me as I've gotten to know Julia to see how she really is similar to Emily Jones and, and the way she's a fixture in that community. Uh, and that's not that's not how it always works. Uh, you know, the, the Emilys and the Julias and uh, the Sophia Minaret, who we uh, got a chance to chat with earlier in this series. Uh, you can catch her conversation on the channel as well. Those three women and, and a few others, a select few others, really go beyond just the role of, uh, of broadcaster and have an impact within the fan base and the community. And it's, uh, it's really cool to, to watch and to, to witness. Uh, you know, and we get the chance uh, as fans of the Rangers to see that with Emily and, and Astros fans get that with Julia. We got two more episodes coming out next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 42 of the Justice Set Conversation. Be safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon.